Welcome to the Full Out Podcast, where you'll get tools, tips, and inspiration to start living your most passionate, expansive, and abundant life. I'm your host, Samantha Jo Harvey, professional dancer and group fitness trainer turned lifestyle entrepreneur, speaker, and women's empowerment coach. It is my mission to help women live their lives full out. No more surviving your days, playing small, or marking your way through life. It's time to let go of your blocks, step into your power, and own that you are worthy of having everything you want in your life, business, and relationships. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to the Full Out Podcast. It's Sam, and I'm so excited you're here. Today, we have my special guest, Alexandra Cole, in the house. What up, girl? Hi, hi. It's hey, so hey. Here. Thank you for having me. I'm so pumped you're here. You know, we met at the Women Who Warrior Retreat, and we had dinner next to each other one night, and we just dove in. And I was like, this girl is so cool, because that's what I love. I love having deep, down, dirty, raw conversations with strangers um, that become, you know, like soul sisters. Like we just, you know, we were in alignment. We could relate to a lot of similar things. And then you trained the next day, you presented, and I would love for you to share your transition, your story from corporate life into what you're doing now. And then we're going to get into all the good stuff. So could you start with kind of your background in that world and what that transition looked like? Absolutely. And I'll try to keep it brief because this could be like an hour in and of itself. <laughs> um, also want to note that I love you get down and dirty right away because I, I often joke, I cannot do surface level conversation. I'm so bad. So I get right in there and you just hit me right back with your, with your, I was with you girl. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I've got to probably take you back to my first year out of college when I was working in New York city. I was working on the 19th floor of a high rise building in times square at a management consulting firm. And, you know, I kind of thought that I'd made it. That was the job to get out of college. And I'd worked my ass off to get there. And it was, you know, pretty challenging to say the least. So we were working with large corporations and helping them kind of solve some really big high level business problems. And I loved the people I was working with. They were brilliant. Um, but the work itself didn't really, I don't want to say do it for me, but I, I woke up and it felt like I was on autopilot. You know, you wake up, you go to work, you do what you're told. And I honestly didn't even realize that I felt that way until a really close friend of mine from college came back from living abroad. And we started meeting for breakfast every once in a while. And she was working on this interesting new project and idea, and I was helping her on that. And a few months went by of doing this, and she ended up asking if I would be interested in you know, becoming more of a, a co-founder role. Now, I was still at my other job, and the conversations that we were having were very much focused on seeing all of our peers leaving their corporate jobs to work for startups because they felt a greater sense of purpose, they felt a greater sense of ownership, um, and we also saw our peers buying products from you know, sustainable brands or brands that had more of a story to tell. And we thought to ourselves, well, what are all of these like large iconic brands going to do? And why are they just continuing to fail to understand how to communicate with us, how to connect with us? 
So we saw an opportunity to essentially act as there, as we call ourselves tour guides. Um, <laughs> and so we actually put together, the first thing we did was we put together this embarrassing presentation on um, the millennial mindset. And at the time, the word millennial was not as overused as it is now. As it is now. And it was, I remember it was a Prezi presentation. For those of you who still remember what that was, it's like this weird form of PowerPoint that was big for a hot second where it's a little bit more um, dynamic. So you move from one thing to the next. It was something that obviously most of these large corporates that we were pitching had never seen. So we thought it would like, you know, be something creative that they would remember. The opposite happened. They were all asking for the, the PowerPoint deck, at which point we <laughs> eventually developing one. Um, but in these conversations, you know, I was sprinting from the meetings with my partners at the management consulting firm across town in New York at rush hour to pitch to these big banks about how they could better connect and engage our generation of clients. And I remember one day I was coming back from one of our lunch meetings and I was running late and it was New York summer. I think it must've been August or something. So it was scorching like a hundred degrees. And I am sprinting down Broadway. And I mean sprinting to make it back in time for this meeting. And I was wearing those like little flats and my flats are like falling off every other block. And I'm just running down the street. And I remember getting on the elevator and I'm sweating buckets at this time. And just wondering to myself, like, why, why am I, do why do I care so much about being here when I felt so much more alive in that room, um, pitching and being the one who actually gets to engage with the client. Whereas here I'm the one building all the presentations, but I never actually get to go and spend time with the people who are, who are making the decisions based off of that. So that lasted for a few months. And then I kind of made the decision. I don't even remember if it was a decision or if it just kind of, you know, I, I moved into that way of thinking that it was time for me to leave. Now I am a Dutch citizen. I'm not American. So there was a little bit of a visa issue that needed to be navigated. And so we were able to do that. And I actually ended up doing an externship at the time for this company that me and my friend were starting. So my company allowed me to take six months to try it out. So that's what I did. And I made the agreement with myself, you know, if we have a big Fortune 500 brand by the end of these six months, I'm in, I'm going to jump. And we did. We got Campbell Soup Company as our first client, which was amazing. And um, we got to work with their, at that time, she was one of the 23 female Fortune 500 CEOs, um, total boss. And that was kind of our first taste of what it was like to have a client and, and run a company by ourselves. We got a little office in WeWork. And over the course of the past six and a half, seven years, we kind of built that company um, to be a seven-figure consulting firm that works with large, iconic brands, helping them understand how to better serve and build relationships with the next generation of clients and talent as well. And so fast forward to probably about two years ago, I had my second shift. Let's put it wait, back. wait, can we pause before you do this next shift? I... I'm losing my mind over here. First, I'm laughing at the New York summer, which I'm like a sweaty person as it is. And I can only wear black because you see the sweat everywhere. And I just, I, I feel your pain as you describe this story of you running cross town. So for anyone that doesn't live in New York, you guys, it's disgusting. Um, so I feel your pain in that. But then what I want to highlight is that you said that you felt alive 
doing these presentations and being in this space. And at the time, were you aware of this shift or is that something that you see only from looking back at it? It's interesting because I had always thought of myself as a very by the book. I was not an entrepreneurial person who took risks. I had planned or mapped my life out to the T. So I thought, great, I go to this good school, I get a great job, maybe I'll go get an MBA, come back and work. And so I think I was so surprised by how I felt and how badly I wanted to be in that kind of messy world of entrepreneurship that I, I followed my gut. And maybe that was the first time in my life that I really, really trusted it without overthinking it because I think that that was something I tended to do. Um, but the fact that I was even leaning into it to the extent that I would be late for those meetings um, was a sign to me, to myself, that it meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And per the, the coming alive piece too, one of my favorite quotes is by Howard Thurman, which is don't ask what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. Oh, yes. That's a um, great one. So good. So good. Okay. I, I, I have more questions, but I want to get into what you're doing now. So can you, can you tell us the, the next chapter, which is the, in the last two years, what you've been going through? Absolutely. So the company that I started at the time was called Purpose Generation. And again, we didn't think about it too much. We thought, you know, our generation, the millennials, we are very much driven by our values and we're looking for that greater sense of purpose um, in our work as well as in the products that we buy and just how we generally conduct ourselves. And maybe it's because of that name, but about two years ago, I think I started noticing how many of our peers and my friends would come up to me and start to talk about this idea of purpose. And many of them at that point had been working for a few years, uh, most of them in corporate America, whether it be banking or consulting or elsewhere. And they were kind of starting to realize that the work that they imagined, you know, being the end all be all wasn't all it was cut out to be and that they actually felt pretty uninspired um, and many felt a little stuck or lost. But the biggest question they had was what now? So they recognized that feeling, but they just had no idea where to turn. And at the time, you know, podcasts were starting to gain quite a bit of momentum And I think personal development and self-help was also becoming a bigger deal. And so I think all of that coming together um, kind of started this this revolution of purpose, so to speak. And I saw this opportunity with my co-founder to kind of almost try and apply some of the same frameworks that we had been using with our corporates to help them articulate their purpose and um, live it out and apply it to individuals. Because what I found as I started my own personal development journey was that there's so much amazing content out there, but very little of it is structured in a way that an A-type person like myself can really connect to. Um, There's amazing stories about people quitting their jobs and traveling the world. And while I am all for that, I don't think it's necessarily a realistic value proposition for most people. 
um, they might need to start pursuing their purpose while working, you know, a, a full-time job. They might need to start fulfilling their purpose while juggling, you know, three young kids. Um, and so I and became really passionate about figuring out how I could almost create a formula for purpose, understanding that obviously it's not a one size fits all and there's a lot of room to play, but it's basically a process that gives people something to latch onto. So we developed that and I started doing these workshops or facilitating these workshops, sometimes for clients, um, sometimes in the co-working space where we work, sometimes for friends and realized that it was really valuable for people even in an hour to sit down and just think a little bit more about what lights them up and and again, articulating it, almost putting their purpose in a sentence. I call it your purpose statement. Um, and so that's been you know, going for the past year or two years. And about a year ago, we turned it into an online course. And then about eight months ago, I woke up and decided I needed to write a book about the topic because I wasn't able to include a lot, I think, of the topics that I wanted to in that course. It was just too much to cover. So I wrote a book, um, and then as I started thinking about kind of what my what I would want that book to to you know I think start or what platform I wanted that book to live on, um, I also started thinking a little bit more about me and my personal purpose. And I think my personal purpose really is to help people lean into what lights them up. Um, and so I, I help companies do that at Purpose Generation. And then slowly but surely, I'm actually making more space to also help individuals do that through coaching, through the book, through a podcast that I'm going to be launching, um, or that may have launched by the time this comes out, actually. Um, so that's kind of the, the new me. I, I wear two hats. I have Purpose Generation, and then I have this other world, which kind of lives under the name of Purpose Playbook, um, which is more individual focused. There, I'm speechless right now. There's so many things. Um, you guys, I record podcasts on Zoom. So Alex can see me like bouncing around and waving my arms and smiling and laughing. And I, I hope that you're doing this as you're driving your car. You're like, yeah, girl, preach. Yes. Um, but I'm so inspired by this. And there's so many things I want to touch on. But I, I want to go way back. And I'm curious, when you first started looking at the idea of purpose through your, your friends and your contemporaries in the corporate world. This is something that I see a ton in the dance world because that's what I'm connected to. And so I'm curious, and this is gonna be a really random question. What age range were your friends in that point in time when they were like, what is my purpose? What am I feeling right now? What age was that generally? I would say it was generally between the ages of 26, 27 and 30, 31 or 32. Honestly, it's like those first few years, right? When you just, you're just in it, you're still really excited by it. It has all this potential. You're growing. You kind of, I think very millennial, obviously you latch onto these promotions and every six months there's something new that keeps you engaged. And then you reach this point where you're kind of You've leveled up to where you're going to be, at least for the foreseeable future. And you start to think about all the other things that you want to get out of life. And you look around you and you might see one or two people who have taken an alternative path, which at the time probably seemed really risky and like, why would you do that? Um, and suddenly you start to become a little bit jealous of them. Mm. And you wonder, you know, what would I do actually if I could you know, do anything and I weren't tied to a paycheck or I weren't tied to some type of status symbol that I need on my resume. And what you'd find is a lot of people would have no idea. And I think that scares people. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
first, I, I was curious about the age range because I think that was, I hear a lot of parallels to what I went through in moving through my divorce is that I was around that same age and what is my purpose? Is this all there is to life? Have I peaked basically by 30? And I knew deep down my intuition, that whisper, that tug in my heart was like, no, Sam, there's more for you. And so I'm curious, how do you, how do you support your friends and your clients in that? Where, if someone's listening right now and they're like, yes, I'm not happy in my job or my relationship or at this point in my life, what do I do? Where, what's the first place to look at? Where do I start? Great question. So I call them purpose triggers. And these purpose triggers, they act almost to me as, as clues to what you're meant to be doing. And so it's, but it's a very easy way to start to pay attention to, to me, a purpose trigger, the definition that I came up with, so it's not in a dictionary anywhere, is a purpose trigger is a, a person, a activity, an environment, or a feeling that gives you a heightened sense of purpose. Like you are where you're meant to be. It gives you that um, sense of giddy joy almost. And so a purpose trigger can literally be a matcha latte. It can be a walk. It can be traveling. It can be someone that you're with. Um, but just starting to pay atten attention to those triggers a little bit more and then being intentional about bringing those into your life. So designing your life around those triggers. So whether it be, sometimes I have them create a trigger diary where they write down throughout the day, like what are the things that really lit me up? And then we can be more intentional about, okay, if it was that matcha latte, how can you actually not do it once a week, but maybe a little bit more frequently? Or how might you start to build that into your morning routine? Um, so I think that that's the first step. And and then, you know, there's some amazing questions, which I also took you through in the workshop that we did um, at the, the retreat that we were at together. But just going back to, you know, what you loved to do as a child, what do people come to you for advice on? Simple questions like that, that they might never think about because you're in it, right? It's so hard to see the forest from the trees when you're like right in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. um, but as we start to explore and as they start to answer those questions, they start to see the patterns themselves, right? Of like, oh, that's actually an area that I, I really love, or this is a type of environment in which I thrive or feel most comfortable. And I think that's the starting point to me. That's awesome. So I want to touch on a couple of things. First, the idea of the purpose trigger. Now, when I first heard this idea, I was kind of confused because in the coaching space, we think of triggers as something negative. And so like, if I'm triggered by seeing, you know, Nicole's post on Instagram and it triggers me and it makes me feel insecure, you know, I would then lead and coach Nicole into, Nicole's my best friend. She actually doesn't do that, but I'm just putting that out there. But I would coach Nicole into saying, okay, why is that triggering you? Why is that bringing up negative feelings? And generally it's because that person is doing something that she wants to be doing. Generally that's what happens or it's bringing up an old insecurity that needs to be healed. So I, in my space, I think of triggers as negative things, but really it shines light on what needs to be healed or what I want to be doing. And so I love that you're kind of flipping this same idea of like, oh, this brings me joy. This is bringing me back to my, my purpose. So I love that. And I found it fascinating this summer when I heard you talk about it because I'd never heard anything like that before. Um, and I love this idea of, of bringing in more of what lights you up. And I think that's the 
that's the power of manifesting is how do I bring in more of these feelings? And I think that what you bring up is really great. Yeah. And it's not plausible for most of us to go travel the world for six months, but what kind of feelings does that bring up for me? How can I find that feeling more in my life? And that just creates a more positive life and a more light filled life, which will allow the other things that, you know, you're calling in to be more positive. So, no, so I love that. And one of the things too, it's funny, I was actually thinking about who was I, I was trying to explain manifestation to someone the other day. And what came up for me was this idea of the red car syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. When you buy a red car, you suddenly see red cars everywhere. And I feel like it's the same way with once you kind of define what your purpose triggers are, right? So let's say you, and I make people define at least three to five you suddenly start seeing way more opportunities to incorporate those, incorporate those triggers. Whereas, you know, if you don't take the time to actually clarify and write them down, you'll go through your day today and there may be an opportunity to go on that walk, but you won't take it because you're not as conscious of it. Um, so I think that that's a really great way too to kind of explain the idea of manifestation because it builds on one another, but it all starts with that, clarity and then the intention behind it too. Mm, that's so good. And, and the red car syndrome for me, it's a white Mercedes syndrome because in my Arbonne business, once we hit our certain level, we get a white Mercedes. So legit, I started seeing white Mercedes everywhere and I'm like, yes, it's a sign. Yes, it's a sign. Oh, I saw 10 signs today that I'm going to earn my car. And it just makes you giggle. It makes you smile. If nothing else, if you're not into woo, -woo you're not into manifesting, get a smile out of it, get a giggle out of it. Um, and then another thing that you're bringing up is this, the idea behind the clarity and, and writing things down. You and I are both really big on the power of journaling. And one thing that I learned from you this summer, which I loved and I encourage um, people to do now, is to leave the pen on the paper longer than you want to. So like we, in answering any of these questions, you know, you have your first initial thoughts, but then in the workshop, Alexandra was like, leave your pen on the paper and just hang in it, be in it for an extra 30 to 60 seconds because you're going to be surprised about what comes up. Can you speak to that just a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So I think with journaling, um, the best way to describe it is the first thing you're going to write down is what you want other people to hear, right? That's because that's, that's Ooh, how we're that wired. That got me. That's yes. how we're wired. So you'll start writing, you know, oh, I had this great day. And you'll literally be writing as if someone's going to read it. But the, the point is no one's going to read it. So sometimes it takes a page or two for you to really get to the heart of the matter. And so I, the, the leaving your pen on the page for me allows me to kind of get beyond the, what do I want people to hear? Because then my inner voice starts to kick in. Right. And it's like, oh, well, why did you write that? It was great when actually you felt maybe not so great today. And that's where, well, that's what the beauty is. And often at that point, honestly, I'm not even writing, you know, coherent sentences or even words. I'm literally scribbling, but as I'm scribbling, I'm kind of releasing whatever it is that I needed to let go of. Um, so I just, I, I think it's really important to go beyond that, that first surface level. And we can't help but write that down. If you read people's diaries, so little of it is the actual real raw feelings. And so much of it is, is, 
you know, what, again, what they would hope other people would see them or what they think they're supposed to write in a diary, right? Oh, that. Even if they're talking about like feelings, they'll be like, well, I had an argument and, and then they'll kind of rationalize their way out. But the best type of journaling has absolutely nothing to do with logic or rationality. Um, and that's where we're, what I'm trying to do with that, with that exercise. I absolutely love it. I mean, everyone knows that I'm a huge journaling fan and I think that it just allows you to process things in a way that you might not be able to process if you're speaking. It allows you to get, I, I don't know the exact, um, forget which side of your brain, but it's like one side of your brain is the logical side and the other side is the, you know, the feeling side. And while you are writing, it's forcing the logical side to actually write the words so that the other side can come through your hand. And so that's why it's so powerful. And when I heard that for the first time, I was like, oh, so there's something more than me just putting words down. It, it actually allows things, just like you said, to release and come out of you. And I've had really cathartic experiences writing. And it's not that every time. Sometimes it's just, you know, five things I'm grateful for or, or whatever it is. But in those moments when you are, you know, I have a lot of people that listen that deal with anxiety and stress. And so in those moments when you are having that full anxiety spiral and you're, you, you're crying and you, you're choking on your breath and you don't know what you can do, grab your pen and just write. It doesn't have to be words. It can just be scribble, just get something out and it's going to A, calm you down and it's also going to focus you and get it out of your body. And the mover in me is like, get it out. Don't let it be stuck in you. It's so true. I mean, journaling is like a free therapy session. Girl, yes. I mean, with yourself, but mm -hmm. it's amazing how effective it can be at kind of letting go. And you'll see once you get in the habit, you'll be asking yourself questions like a therapist would, and you'll be answering those on the page. I mean, it's, it's really totally. cool once you get into the habit of it. Yeah. And, and just side note for anyone that's listening and is like, I want to try journaling, but I don't even know where to start on my website, samanthajoharvey.com. My free B, my little freebie for you is you can literally put your email in and I will send you a seven day journaling guide that will just get you in the practice of it. So we can go way deeper into it. But if you're brand new and you're like, how do I do this? Go check that out. Um, but let's get back to you and purpose playbook and, and everything that you're creating right now. What are you most excited about? What am I most excited about? I mean, so many things. I think for me, um, it's a really big step to be creating a little bit more of a personal brand around this, this purpose playbook. So when I left the corporate world for purpose generation, that was hard because my job in the corporate world had a certain sense of credibility. You know, I was at a big name brand company. And when I told my parents, friends where I was working, they all looked super impressed and they would boast about me. And that you know, I can't help it, did something to my ego. And then you leave and you start a company from scratch that no one has ever heard of. And that was somewhat challenging, but I had my amazing co-founder who was a really close friend who was in it with me. So we were always, we were a team, we were in it together. And then over the course of those several years, we again, built an amazing list of clients that again, gave me that sense of Ability. You know, we worked with, like I mentioned Campbell Soup and Walt Disney and P&G and all these names when people didn't know or where they looked at me like, so who are you and what do you do? I would just throw one of those names in there and I would get an instant, again, um, you know, impressed look on people's faces. 
And so now I'm kind of shifting, at least on the personal side, to do something that is a little bit different, that is a little bit out there, um, that embraces a little bit more of the woo side that people aren't used to from me, right? I've always been the very, the practical consultant who's very structured and gets shit done. Um, and I'm still going to get shit done, but I think I'm for the first time really integrating all of those different sides of me into this, this one person and kind of taking off the mask and showing up as me um, in different ways, whether it be in the book or the podcast or in my coaching. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm also terrified about that. Um, and I think that though, what is kind of the driving force behind this and what I'm probably even more excited about is the potential to actually help people transform their lives by leaning and giving them permission to lean into what lights them up, right? Really giving them permission to not question and doubt and, and helping them take action towards their goals because you can articulate it, but actually making the choices on a day-to-day basis to move your life to be more aligned with, you know, who you were meant to be um, and what you were meant to contribute to this world and the people around you. That's a whole nother story. And so it, it really excites me, the potential to be able to help people do that. That's amazing. So I want, there's like two ways I want to go. I'm trying to decide. I'm going to go to this, the partnership and the team thing first. So you're also married and we've also, you and I've had conversations about your relationship but I'm curious within your marriage and relationship and or your relationship with your business partner, what, what advice do you have for people navigating that relationship and maintaining a friendship and being friends and, and still, you know, you still talk to your business partner. You've got to still like each other. You still like your husband, right? Do you have advice on that front? So much. And I've also learned a lot of this the hard way, but I will say my biggest piece of advice is communicate, communicate, communicate. What does communicate mean? Like, what does that even mean? No, that's a really, so, okay. So I'll do, I'm going to address both of them because they're both slightly different, although there's a lot of overlap. Um, so with my business partner, I'll start there. Um, We, I think for that relationship, it was very important to, at the beginning, outline clearly what our different roles and responsibilities were, kind of what is our domain of what can we own essentially. Um, And honestly, while we started out with very similar skill sets, we've over the years developed different skill sets to kind of complement one another, which has been really neat to see. Now, there have absolutely been trying times in our relationship as business partners, but I will say that we have, we made the commitment to make our friendship come first. And I don't think that's always possible to be completely honest. And a lot of people doubted whether we'd be able to do that. Um, But we were very, um, I think, firm in that we wanted that to be the most important thing. We have amazing families that know each other really well. We were actually born in the same hospital in London, coincidentally. We didn't find out until we went to college together, kind of random. Um, So I think that in those times though, when it was a little from a business perspective, when we were having some issues, um, we spoke to a coach, which was incredibly helpful. Um, Just having a third party there to help you navigate kind of each other's emotions because you're so 
Um, there's so many things at play, including like how you feel about them as a, as a friend, as a business or, you know, partner. And so having a third person there to kind of help you make sense of those emotions was really, really helpful. Um, and then again, just being really open about where you see yourself, where you see things going. We have annual kind of SWOT analysis of each other. So we kind of go over like, what are your strengths? What is, you know, a weakness? What's an opportunity that you can really build on? Um, and that just gives us a more, you know, clear cut forum to dive into those things. So that's on the, on the business side. Then in my relationship with my husband. So we've been together now almost 12 years, which is crazy. Incredible. That's amazing. Congratulations. And thank you. And we are not, well, we never intended to be together for that long. Let me put it that way. When, we, when we met, we were both kind of of the mindset of, oh, this is fun, but there's no way I am going to end up marrying my, you know, college boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, we, so it, for a long time, I think we were, we were kind of under the impression of, okay, we'll, we'll sit this out and wait it out until it's no longer fun. And um, I will say though that my, so we have two ingredients. One is me and communicate. I'm like an over communicator. And if I feel I'm also pretty intuitive. So if I sense that there's anything kind of off on his side, I will immediately ask him about it. And that was, I think a little hard for him at first, but he's gotten used to it. I'll, I'll sometimes know something's up before he knows something's up, you know? And then the second piece is honesty and directness. Um, I'm Dutch, so I'm fairly direct, but my husband is extremely direct. Um, and I, again, that was sometimes hard for me at first because he'd say things that were hard to hear, but they were the truth. And I would any day take the truth over appeasing me or telling me something that might be easier to hear. So I think that over the years, we've kind of developed this amazing um, kind of trust with one another that we will always tell each other how it is, even when it's hard to hear and the other people will be, and the other person will be open to, to hearing that feedback. Um, and that we will, you know, communicate. So when you're, when things are feeling off, um, when you're not as into it, you know, share that. And then the other person can do something about it because if something's off and you, you know, keep your mouth shut, it's going to come out one way or another. And I don't want to even dream about what that other way might be. So I think that that's just something. And, and again, it is, it is a matter of, of trusting one another to, to do that and to keep doing that. So to keep checking in. That's amazing. So in your journey of finding your own purpose and moving through your career and, and, and continuing to evolve, how was that with your husband? Did he go on a similar journey with you? How does he feel about personal development? Like, I know a lot of women listening are so like, I'm doing all this work and my partner is not, or, you know, the woman's like dragging the partner into it. How was that experience for you guys? So it's funny. My husband was the entrepreneur between the two of us. So when I met him, Ooh. he already started several businesses um, and he's always tinkering on things on the side. And then it was after college, he went into banking and I was suddenly the one who was starting business. Um, but he was so supportive of me 
and extremely, I mean, he's, he's brilliant and especially at navigating kind of that entrepreneurial, no rules, wild, wild west type of situations, which is really, really helpful. Um, so actually that ended up, we ended up staggering our businesses. So I started purpose generation. Then he left a few years later, he started his first business while I was already well up and running. Then he sold that, started another one. And now that's up and running. And now I'm kind of shifting gears. So we're, we're kind of mirroring each other in that way. Um, but I love it. You know, currently we actually both work from our home. So I, amazing I the office and then he works in the garage and we're, we love it. And it's, I, I, there were times obviously where I was traveling a ton and he was doing a lot, but there was never a shortage of things to talk about. And one thing that we really value is being able to um, talk to one another about our businesses. And that's something that I see a lot of couples struggle with, especially for instance, when, um, and I'll be very honest, this is also a fear of mine. Like if I have kids one day and I'm out of the workforce for a little bit, I hope that he continues to pull me into his kind of business decisions and what's going on um, rather than, you know, think that I don't have time or he doesn't want to burden me. I'm, I'm very clear about that. I always want that, that line of communication. Um, but then we've also established some healthy boundaries. So we have, we have our whole own lexicon or vocabulary. Um, one of them is heels on. So if I'm getting too much in my masculine in these conversations with him, because sometimes I'll get like really into it and start throwing out all this advice and he'll say, um, Alexandra heels on and I'll know, Oh, I need to ease off a little bit. I need to embrace the feminine. And I love, and it, it's amazing because having those words, um, makes it a lot less personal and almost more fun. And so we've, developed a lot of those types of things um, to make it. Oh, that's so good. Wait, I mean, I just want to like pause right there because A, just the idea of feminine and masculine energy, and that's maybe like a whole nother podcast episode, but it's something that I struggle with too. And I think a lot of female entrepreneurs and, and female type A were, you know, overachievers. We, we have this very strong energy, which can lean into the masculine without, you know, I know like my boyfriend doesn't know what masculine or feminine energy energy is, but I had a coach tell me that I had to really embrace my feminine and allow my partner to step into the masculine. Cause otherwise I would just be saying, well, this is where I'm going to go to dinner and this is what we're going to do. And I would just be like running our relationship. And that doesn't make me feel good. And it doesn't make him feel good. So I love that you guys have that little code word and it's not like you are doing something wrong, but it's just that gentle reminder that's kind of funny. And I think, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's amazing how much it also just helps me relax. Into uh, yes. More. And just the feeling that you don't have to be at all. You don't have to do it all. And again, I think I attached my self-worth, I, I do still sometimes attach my self-worth to how productive I yeah. am and mm -hmm. how much I get stuff done because that's what I was always praised for. And my husband had to sit me down and say, I love you as you are. And you don't have to, you know, check all the boxes and be a boss at work and make sure that, you know, dinner's on the table, groceries are done, laundry is done. Like I'm, I'm not going to expect that of you. Um, and that has been such an amazing relief, honestly. And you asked about the personal development too. And he's a very 
um, self inquisitive person, I would say. Um, and he's extremely open to having these types of conversations with me. And every year we do something we call resolutions 2.0 at the beginning (laughs) of the year, where we kind of set our, our personal goals, but we go pretty deep in terms of, we, we write journal entries for five, 10, 15 years down the line. And, um, we do kind of, it's a lot of self-reflection. So he loves that piece. I'd say when I get a little too woo woo, he'll, he'll listen, but may not necessarily engage um, in as enthusiastic of a way, <laughs> but, but I, as long as he allows me to be me, um, that is, I, you know, to each his and her own. That's so good. That's so good. So I have two more questions for you. One is, you know, I think that a lot of people relate to other people's struggles and how they overcome them. So whether it's in your relationship, in your career, personal life, any of those things, what what is one of those like big milestone struggles that you had to overcome in order to live the life that you're living today? Or maybe you're still in the midst of it, of overcoming it or figuring it out. Yeah. I'm well, one I touched on around that, the worthiness piece um, and attaching my self-worth to whether it be a fortune 500 brand list of clients, right? Whether it be um, a title or whether it be, um, just, you know, the ability to, to check things off of my to-do list. I think I am trying to detach myself a little bit from, from that piece and just know that I'm enough as Mm. I am. Um, How do you do that? How do you do that? hmm. Honestly, spending time with people who embrace me and accept me just the way I am and are supportive of that. So people where I don't feel like I need to wear any of those masks that I, that I put on. Um, I think that that's for me personally, at least the best way to, to connect with that. Um, Awesome. Yeah. So that's one way. And then the other, you know, honestly, I think one of the biggest, um, blessings that happened to me is I lost my mom when I was 11 or 10 and a half years old um, to breast cancer. And her motto for her life was live life to the full. And the last few months before she passed away, she lived out all of her crazy dreams, including recording a CD in a real recording studio. And I saw all of that take place. And I think that as a result of, of, you know, having her as almost like a a role model, but also having her represent, like, do not take this life for granted. Do not take anything for granted. Um, I've just had this, this motor and this drive to, um, make things happen, to not wait, to not postpone them. Um, and to also always see, I think the glass half full. Um, and those are things that have served me really, really well. And when I think about the transitions that I've been making, you know, you'll hear people, people will often say like, well, wow, that's so brave. Like, why, why are you doing that? Or, um, you know, why do you need to do that right now? And, you know, I hope I live a really, really long life, but there are no, there are no guarantees. And I want to, you know, if tomorrow is my last day, I want to go out swinging. Um, and so I think that that's been something that, um, you know, was obviously a really big challenge to overcome. 
Um, but I see it as one of the greatest blessings in my life. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. So beautiful. So with that, we're going to finish with one final question. And because you've listened to the podcast, you know what's coming. So I don't know if you did your homework or if you're just going to go for it off the, off the cuff. Um, but if a listener is out there listening and they want to know, how do I live my life full out? What advice do you give them? Lean into what lights you up. I think it's just, it sounds so easy, but it is so important for you to truly listen. And just like we did with the journaling, like keep your pen on the page, like keep asking, keep going deeper and deeper and deeper until you really know what lights you up and then stop making excuses and just go for it. Preach mic drop, Alexandra. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? That was the other thing. Where can people find you if they want to stay connected? They want to learn about your podcast, read your book, do your programs. Awesome. Well, the easiest place is probably going to be, I think when this is coming out, www.alexandracole.com. And then I'm also at purpose lower dash playbook on Instagram too. Amazing. Girl, thank you so much. You guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining me. If today's podcast inspired you in any way, we would love your support in spreading the word. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and let the other queens in your life know that they are also worthy of living life full out. If you want to continue the conversation, I'd love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook at Samantha Joe Harvey. Have a fabulous day, and I'll see you next time.